Good, uh, good morning, everybody. Good to, uh, good to see you. How about this, uh, this fall weather? Man, I'll take this all day. Uh, I'll take it all season, all fall season. Take that, take that. Um, good morning. Uh, glad uh, that you're here. It's really good to see you. Um, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, it's, uh, really, we're really honored that you're here and that you're with us. And um, those of you that are joining online, glad that you're here. Uh, you know, leave me a message in the chat. I'll go back. I'll see you later. Um, we, um, we've been in a series in Mark's Gospel for the last several weeks and want to continue in, um, in our series there. Uh, but to start off, one of the things that um, I've been uh, poking around about, you know, in my more distracted, you know, I should be focused, you know, in prayer and studying of Scripture, but I get sidetracked. I don't know if anybody else gets distracted. And so one of the things I've uh, sort of found myself down the rabbit hole is um, this uh, really new fandangled thing, as I'm going to ch- channel my inner old man here, called uh, the TikTok. You guys, uh, you guys done this? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, not, not sure. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll explain it to you later. It's an app. Uh, me and all the young people are on it. Um, there's this trend that uh, it started on TikTok and then made its way to YouTube. It's called Never Let Them Know Your Next Move. Okay? It's where sort of a series of kind of short videos of little things. Some of you are like, I don't even know what the TikTok is, but that's all right. Just keep up. Uh, just track with me. Just nod your head like you know exactly where I am. It, it's videos that sort of take these surprising turns where there's sort of a script that you, you know, sort of you think what's going to happen and then it sort of takes a turn. You're like, oh, that's, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, and then here's another one and now this is going to happen. Well, that, that's not going to happen either. And uh, whatever you think is supposed to happen, that it, that it doesn't happen. You guys, some of you seen these? Some of you haven't? Good. I got to, uh, let's just take a look. Hopefully. Good. Great. He's going to, oh, he's not going to drink that. He's going to, oh, he's going to pull it back out. That's good. He's going to take a drink. Uh, maybe not. I'm just going to commentate these. Uh, there's no sound to it. And then he's going to, yeah, perfect. LeBron, like it. Uh, I think he's going to work out. Not going to work out. No, he's going to play the keyboard because that's what you do in the gym. Uh, then uh, he's going to come over here. He's got a fork now. Perfect. Uh, he's going to electrocute himself. No, not going to do that. Going to eat some chocolate pie, not just any pie because you do that in the gym too. Uh, takes a drink of a golf ball. Perfect. Then he, uh, he's going to uh, not do that. Of course not. Now he's going to push the sled because you push the sleds. I've been told. I've never actually pushed it. No, he's going to pull it. There you go. Perfect. You guys seen these? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? All right. He opens a window, but he's not going to. He's going to put that in the ground. He's going to go in the pantry, but dance away from it. He's going to eat the plate. Perfect. It's good. going to get on. Not going to get on. Lady's like, what is that kid doing? going to leave money at the ATM. I've never seen that. It's not even wise. Not, I don't think that's how you do that. There you go. It's just going to sit down. It's going to fall through the window, I think. Oh, he's not going to greet his homie. You're gonna, nope, not him either. Perfect. He's going to race that guy because he's just standing there. Nope. Back up and into the thing there. He's going to go somewhere. Nope, he's not. He's going to climb into climb into the back. And, and that's it. It's good. Never, never... Let them know your, your next move. She's going to drink the ramen and then put that over there and then spit it back out. Perfect. Great. That's good. I don't think you need to do that. Uh, that's good. That guy just came from nowhere, and he's going to wipe. I don't know what that is on his face. She's going to go in the top. Yeah. There, here you go. And she's going to hand her back the ramen because that's where you go. She's going to go in reverse. Nope, just kidding. going to go forward. And I think it's a Maryland driver. Perfect. <laughs> you guys see, so never let them know. You guys know that you've seen these, maybe, yeah? You've, you've lived one of these, maybe? 
never let them know you're, I mean, the story goes like it's, there's a whole bunch of these, like a guy, you know, he pulls out some toothpaste and he puts it on a hairbrush and then he's like, no, and then he like scrubs the toilet with it. Like you just never know, like the script doesn't go the way that you want. And as I've watched these more than I, you know, in doing research for this sermon, um, <laughs> like they just, they, they're, they're humorous, they're frustrating. At different times, I get frightened. I'm like, oh, God, don't do, please stop. Like, <laughs> let me, but I can't stop watching because I don't know kind of what's going to happen. They, it, they never let you, you just never know what your next move is, you know? In this passage that we read in Mark 8, it, it's, Jesus is doing that. It's, it's a never let them know your next move moment that shows up here in Mark 8. Peter and the disciples, they, they have this conversation with Jesus and uh, and they have a, a, a script in their mind about how this conversation should go and would go. But it's not just the disciples that sort of have this moment in Mark 8. It's sort of all of us that, are, that would be hearers of this story, and particularly the first hearers of this story. And Jesus begins to show them uh, uh, sort of the way that he's going to go, but it's in a way that they just simply don't anticipate. Let's look again at Mark 8, beginning of verse 27. Mark writes, Jesus and his disciples, they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asks? Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. And Jesus warned them, don't tell anybody about it. Now, I just want to sort of set the table about this initial conversation about what's happening. In previous weeks, we have said, make, uh, pay attention and make note of the geographies and the locations of each of the stories that Mark is telling. And this is, and this is uh, no exception. Here, Mark begins, he says, listen, uh, they're walking around the villages that are around Caesarea Philippi. So what is this place? What is this to cue us in on? Caesarea Philippi, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a Roman stronghold. It was named after Caesar Augustus, after one of the emperors. But that wasn't always its name. What Caesarea Philippi, it, was a, it, was a, it had a strong military presence, but it was an, actually an ancient city. It was, uh, uh, in, before Rome conquered it, it was the location of uh, a city in Babylon where uh, the worship of the god Baal took place. And then when Rome conquered it, it became the site of the worship of the Roman god Pan. The city was, it was this sort of this city that was steeped in conquest and empire and idolatry. And it was kind of all around, not just in the city center, but in the villages and towns that surrounded Caesarea Philippi. And so that's the location that Jesus and the disciples are walking around. And that's the context of what the disciples are seeing when Jesus turns and looks at them and says, who do people say that I am again? It's in contrast to the context in which they're standing. And so the response to the question that the disciples have that Peter says, he says, well, some say that you are John the Baptist. John the Baptist, some say that you are the one that's making the way for another one, but that you are a prophet, and that you're a prophet, you're one who criticizes the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Some, some say that that's who you are, that you're John the Baptist that's come back. Others say that you're Elijah, the Old Testament, the Hebrew prophet that spoke against false and foreign gods. Some, some say that that's who you are, that you're one that you're not so much speaking against the, the, the Pharisees, but you're speaking against the culture, the context, or just all of this that we see. Some say that that's who you are. In, in both ways, by the way, for, for them to identify Jesus as a prophet, it would have been quite a radical response because there had been a belief that sort of the, the, the engagement of prophets had been closed for so long. 
that it had been hundreds of years since there had been a prophet in their midst in the, in the vein of Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of them, that, that for them to have identified Jesus as a prophet, it was quite a radical notion. However, it wasn't far enough. It, it, it wasn't, uh, prophets are, that's fine, but that's not who Jesus was saying that he was. Then Peter says, yes, Peter, well, what about you? What, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, well, I say, I say that you're the Messiah. And, that, and that's a word that's sort of baked with, with meaning and with um, it, it just contours to it. And so we've got to sort of explore in mind, well, what does what does Peter mean when, when he says that Jesus is the Messiah? Messiah is the Hebrew word that gets translated into Greek as Christ. So Messiah and Christ are the same word. They're just translated. And it simply means the anointed one, particularly an, an anointed one who is to be the king of Israel. A Messiah was the one who was going to, to, to liberate Israel from oppression. A Messiah was the one that was going to restore Israel's sovereignty, that they were going to be the ones that... that um, in much the way that Moses led uh, the Hebrews out of enslavement in Egypt, that, that the Messiah was to be the one to lead Israel into the future ahead. And in this context, what Peter is saying when he says that Jesus is the Messiah, he's understanding it to be that Jesus is the one who is going to deliver Israel from Roman occupation, that Jesus is the one that's going to reestablish the Davidic line of kingship. Peter believes that Jesus' Messiahship would bring about an earthly deliverance and the inauguration of an earthly kingdom and usher in a new glorious era of Israel's dominance in the region. What, what Peter would be saying is that, Jesus, we understand that you're going to make Israel great again. This is what is all underneath Peter's response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? To which Jesus says something that he has said multiple times up to this point in Mark's gospel. He says, okay, don't tell nobody. I keep it right here, my guy. Now, I want to address this for a minute because we've, we've sort of skipped on it um, in the chapters previous. There's this, uh, it's a theological term called the messianic secret. We've introduced a number of deeply theological terms to you as we've walked through Mark's gospel. One, the ever lofty Markin sandwich, which you can learn about later. Today, we're going to deal with the messianic secret. It's a theme that we run into in Mark where something happens where sort of Jesus displays his uh, aspects of his kingdom and of his character. And then he says, don't tell anybody about this. It happens just previously in Mark 7. Jesus heals a man who is deaf and who is mute, and then once the man is healed, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. Just kind of keep it to yourself. And it shows up again in Mark 5. Jesus actually raises a girl from the dead. She is dead. Now she's alive. It's an amazing celebration breaks out, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And I'm sure they're like, what? I've already tweeted this. I made a TikTok. Like, it's it's already out there. What do you mean don't tell anybody? It shows up again in Mark 3. The, the, demons, the demons this time, they notice who Jesus is and they proclaim, oh, you, we know who you are. We know your power. We know your, your dominion, your kingdom. The, the demons notice Jesus and acknowledge his power, but Jesus tells the demons, don't tell nobody. It happens in Mark 1 at the very beginning, in the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Jesus heals a leper and then tells the leper, don't tell anybody. There's a, there's a regularity to this, like, why? Like, what's going on? How come Jesus doesn't want anyone to know? And, uh, and then, well, who's going to find out if nobody knows? And I want to come back to a, an interpretive device that, we've sh- that I just shared a few minutes ago and that we've shared throughout. Notice the locations of where Jesus is doing all of this, of what's happening. 
And the prevailing scholarship, the biblical scholarship of this is that Jesus wasn't ready to face the Jewish expectations that came with his Messiahship. You see, all of the locations of Mark 1 and 3 and 5 and 7 and 8, all of the places where Jesus says, don't tell anybody, they are Jewish contexts. And so with them would have come this understanding that, oh, you are the one that is going to lead us into a sovereignty. You are the one that's going to help us overthrow Roman occupation. You're the one that we should rally our swords and shields and uh, uh, that you are the one that will lead us in a violent upending of uh, where we are right now. And Jesus in his ministry, he wasn't yet ready to take that on. There was teaching and readying to do. However, at this point in Mark 8, this becomes the, a turning point in Mark's gospel where Jesus begins to say, yes, this is, I am the Messiah. I am the one that will lead us forward. But it's not going to be in the ways that you imagined. Jesus begins to open up the narrative of his Messiahship. And uh, it's also important for us to notice the difference between Jewish expectations and the realities of what he was going to accomplish. By the way, it's also helpful for us to see the context where Jesus doesn't say this. In, uh, in Mark 5, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, a man who was um, demon-possessed by a number of demons. It says uh, the demons, they said, we are legion, meaning we are many. But he does that in a Gentile context. And then when the man is healed, Jesus tells him, go to your town, go to your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus tells him to go and bear witness to God's healing and his, free, and his freedom that, he's now, that, that he is now secured because of Jesus' hand. Jesus hides his messianic power and his messianic, uh, 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 his, his messiahship from the Jews, like Peter, because he knew, that, he knew of the assumptions. He knew the nationalistic and militaristic hopes that the Jews had, and his messiahship wasn't that, and he wasn't ready to address that just yet. He would in his timing. But Jesus didn't hide his Messiahship from the Gentiles, from those that were outside of that initial covenant with God because there wasn't those Messianic expectations that they had. He could simply be the one who saves and heals and liberates. But beginning in Mark 8, the Messianic revelations, they begin to open. Jesus' future becomes clear as the story goes on in verse 31. Then he, he, Jesus began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. it's, it's, it's It's a quick and a bit of an abrasive turn, to be honest. On the heels of Peter's profession of faith, you are the Messiah. Like all these other people, they think that you're just you're a prophet, but I know that you're the one that will save and that will heal. On the heels of, of, of Peter's profession, Jesus starts the process of, of, of adjusting what Peter understands that to mean. He says, yes, you're right. You got the words right, but I don't think you got the definition right. Jesus says that his Messiahship is going to be marked by suffering and by rejection and by death, and that doesn't compute, that doesn't fit into the understanding of what Peter had of how the Messiah would lead and what the revolution would be marked by. And so Peter rejects this image. He says, no, this this isn't the script. It's not how it's supposed to go. Like, you don't put the toothpaste on a hairbrush, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about here? 
pulls him aside and rebukes him. There's a, there's a spot, to be honest, like where I, I, f- I feel deeply for Peter. Because I feel like in that moment, like, there's, like, like disappointment is beginning to creep in for Peter. It's like, why are you talking crazy talk, Jesus? That's not what I laid down my nets for. I didn't leave my family and my hometown to walk around this dusty place with you so that you could suffer and be rejected and die. This ain't, no, stop the crazy talk. Peter's disappointed. He's, he's frustrated. He's, I imagine that he might be frightened. It's like watching like a non-funny version of never let him know your next move. And, and Peter's like, he's left confused. And so he, so he rebukes Jesus. He expresses his his, his disapproval and his disappointment. I think I identify with that because sometimes we think that there's this understanding that if we just, you know, sort of lay our nets aside, if we just follow Jesus, then, then what is in store for us are untold spiritual riches. That, that it will go well with us in ways that we understand wellness to go. If I follow God, then it's going to go right for me. I, I know and experience, have experienced this disappointment. I, I suspect many of you have as well. I told the story before, but um, this, uh, 16 years ago, um, Lisa and I uh, moved to Nigeria in West Africa. Um, Nathan, um, who's a man-child now in the back, he was uh, not quite one yet. We lived in a beautiful community in downtown Fresno, and then we packed up everything, we moved overseas. That's what we look like. Lisa has not aged. Nathan and I... <laughs> Have, have aged <laughs> massively. Um, and we left with a lot of fanfare, and we left with a lot of prayer and celebration, and we were commissioned out by our neighborhood, not by one individual church, because our neighbors had a sense of care and obligation for our lives. And when we got there, it just didn't go well. It was hard, it was the hardest time in Lisa and I's marriage. I had a very bitter falling out with the founder of the organization that we went to serve with. Our visas weren't renewed. It was just one challenge after another after another. We kind of came home and this family that was celebrated and, you know, we had been engaged in really meaningful and successful ministry and we just came home feeling like failures and hurt and I was angry and I was embarrassed and I was disappointed with God. I said, God, you've disappointed me here. This didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Because I, I, I sold it out for you, God, and like you didn't come through in the ways that I'd imagined. Bryn Jonathan Butler is a former boxer, and he's a sports writer. Uh, he writes for ESPN and Deadspin. And, um, in his book, Domino Diaries, he is writing about boxers and writing about the intersection of boxing and Cuban culture after the revolution. In that book, he tells a story about one of his trainers, Ronnie Wilson. Ronnie was an aging fighter. He was a, a beautiful, like so many people, he was a beautiful human, but also a tragic one. His relationship with Ronnie was amazing. It was a hard relationship, though, because of Ronnie's addictions and self-destructive behavior, and there was disappointment in the relationship. And a disappointment in the direction of things, of ways that both Ronnie and Bryn Jonathan had hoped things would go. 
Remember, Jonathan describes in one of his last meetings with Ronnie as they stood there looking at each other on the streets of Vancouver. He said, we stood looking at one another and I could almost feel him absorb the sadness between us like some mournful breeze rattling a wind chime. There's been moments where I feel like I've stood before the Lord and I felt like that, where I've just been disappointed. God, you didn't even come through the way that I wanted. And then Jonathan writes, You have to get past the pain of knowing who someone isn't to accept loving them for who they are. I think that in that that encounter between Jesus and Peter, that what they're doing is they're recognizing the distance between who each of them are and who each of them will not be. And Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been aching for and longing for, but it won't be by way of the sword and the shield. Peter's facing his disappointment and disorientation with who he imagines Jesus to be and who Jesus is. Jesus' way is different than Peter's, and Jesus' way is different than ours too, church. And yet Jesus is trustworthy. What we will see in the rest of of Mark is Jesus' trustworthiness, even when his movements don't go the way that we anticipate. Jesus can be trusted and Jesus' ways can be trusted even when we experience disappointment with Jesus. Verse 34, the story goes on. Then Jesus calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is it good for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is, I mean, he said what's going to happen. He said what's going to happen to him. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to experience rejection. I'm going to experience death. And he's like, want to follow me? And like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. Who wants to follow in the ways of this messiahship? You want to take this up and come with me? Here's the path. The path is that of sacrifice and of death, the path of denial, of self, and a cross. Let's go. Ready, set. There is a hard edge to following Jesus. At Christ City, we, not perfectly, but we've worked really hard and diligently to be a place of welcome and of inclusion and embrace. To say that, that everybody has dignity and everybody is affirmed in this place to, uh, to set the table because we believe that that's how Jesus behaves. That Jesus doesn't turn anybody away, and so neither should we. And realizing that so many have had an experience at church where they have felt a rejection, where uh, they have felt a distance, where they have felt rebuke instead of the embrace of Christ. And so we want to always be a place where we put forward the love and welcome and embrace and inclusion of God. Because that's, that's who we understand God to be. We don't have... Like, we don't have a whole lot of decorations up here. Sometimes I get a little annoyed by that, but I'm like, I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but this right here kind of, but this is where we are. I don't, you know. But there's two things that are consistently here. It's the cross and the communion table with hand sanitizer because we're not trying to be nasty. (laughs) The cross and the communion. The table that says everybody's welcome, whosoever will may come. 
body and blood of Christ, broken and shed for you, whatever anybody else has ever said about you and God's embrace of you, let it be known today that you are welcome in this place because Jesus welcomes you. And the reason and the way that he's able to welcome you is because he's taken up a cross and he was resurrected so that all of us could come together to the table. So we have these two images of the cross and the communion. But then there's a follow me. There is a death and there is a resurrection, but there's a follow me. Let us not lose ourselves in the sorrow of the loss and of the cross, but rather let us also focus on the invitation to follow Jesus. Sometimes when this passage gets preached, we focus on deny yourself, take up your cross, and that's true and right, and we lose sight of the, and follow me. The invitation of God to follow Jesus, the reward of Christ. I was speaking with um, the spiritual director, Randy White. I don't know if Randy watches my sermons or not. Shout out, Randy. Tune in, bro. Um, He's in California. And I was talking with him about um, some some goals that I have for the rest of this year, some things that I want to accomplish before the end of 2022. And and he was kind of poking at me about these. He's like, well, why do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I just, you know, I want to be... It'll be like the best Matthew, you know, coming out of 2022 and then 2023. I'm going to dominate 2023. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. He's like, I'm just, you know, I'm just not, and I'm not content. There's a, there's a discontentment, maybe like a holy discontentment, Randy. I'm trying to use good words because he's a spiritual director. I want to impress him. <laughs> you know, I'm just content with where I am. Like, I want to become better. I want to, you know, I want to grow. I want to, you know, all of these things. And I remember him just saying, just sort of in this, just wise way that he has about him. He says, you know, discontent, it's a good reason to change. Discontent with whatever aspects of your life, spiritually or emotionally. He said, discontentment, it's a good reason, but aspiration is a better one. Aspiration is more than just a goal, Matthew. Aspiration is a direction that is centered on a desire to be with Jesus and to experience the shalom of God. I don't think discontentment will sustain you, but an aspiration to follow Jesus will. Deny, cross, lose your life. Yes, there's a denial. Yes, there's a taking of a cross. And yes, there's a laying aside of selfish desires. But what gets picked up is Jesus. What is gained is a life that is deeper and that is truer. A life with Jesus is one that is marked by rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody in Washington, D.C. needs some rest this weekend. A, marked, a life marked by Jesus is one marked by love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in that love. A life marked by following Jesus is one marked by peace. Again, Jesus comforts his disciples and to us, reminding us that his peace he gives to us. He doesn't give you as the peace as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Receive the peace of God. Jesus' invitation to us is to follow him. It's an invitation into a life that is marked by these things, by hope and love and peace and so many others, freedom and joy and passion and justice. That's the invitation that Jesus is extending to us. One of the the earliest names for those that follow Jesus. Um, Just learned this this weekend. From Professor Johnny Ramirez Johnson, a Latino theologian from Puerto Rico. 
He said, you know, one of, the, one of the earliest names for those that began to follow this Messiah, it wasn't Christian. They didn't call them Christians. Christian was actually a name from the empire. He said the earliest names that those that followed Jesus was given was that they were the people of the way. La gente del camino. The people of the camino. To say yes to Jesus is to walk with Jesus in a certain direction, a certain camino. God is inviting us to walk in that particular direction, in the direction of his kingdom that is coming on earth as it is in heaven. That is the invitation for us this morning and every morning to come and to follow Jesus. We pray for us. Jesus, I, I pray, Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. That whatever the things that have been said, that however it lands on us, Spirit, that we would receive it. And that we would respond to it, God. To follow you is an action. To follow you invokes movement. To follow you in a certain direction means that we're saying no to other directions. Other paths and other caminos that we could walk down. Spirit, I pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that we would receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name.